0: Hello and welcome back to the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Ethan Huffman. We are recording at 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon, Pacific Time. And I'm here with my good
1: buddy, Elkin Beltry. Elkin, how are you doing this afternoon? Uh, Doing good. A little tired. Just started my first week of school. And today was just full of a lot of planning. And I'm excited to take a break from planning and talk about basketball.
0: Well, basketball is the cure to all our ailments because it's the one thing that I know always makes me happy. Even when the Heat are starting the season, eleven and thirty, I can I can still find solace in the in NBA basketball.
1: So, you ready to start with our first team in the Southeast Division? Of course, I'm ready to start with the first team and probably the least impactful team in the Southeast Division, in my opinion, the Atlanta Hawks. Not Ethan. The Atlanta Hawks lost Tim Hardaway. Mike Scott, kind of an afterthought. When you have emoji tattoos, I kind of just forget about you. Uh, Paul Millsap, Thibault and Dwight Howard. I mean, you had the additions of some rookies, John Collins Tyler Dorsey, Miles Plumley, Bellinelli, Denman, Luke Babbitt. Now, you did lose your – probably two of your – Three or four best players. I might be lying to you. I didn't like Dwight Howard that much, but as far as talent, even though he's on the downside, he's probably better than still a decent amount of players on the roster. But before we start recording, I told you there's one thing that they did win at the Atlanta Hawks, and that is they didn't spend $71 million on Tim Hardaway Jr., that is where they won. I can tell you that. Thank you, New York Knicks. And don't worry, the bash of the New York Knicks will continue leaving on this pod when we're not talking about the Atlantic division. Um but overall, what I've seen here and looking over the current roster, they they bring in guys who were solid last year. Luke Babbitt, and you can probably talk more about him. You saw him a lot more than I did. Uh Dwayne Denman, I love them in San Antonio. Miles Plumley, afterthought, I'm gonna tell you right now. Thanks. Yep. Uh, John Collins and Tyler Dorsey. As far as those two rookies, John Collins, I know you didn't get to watch my Summerlee Ethan, but John Collins in Summerlee, against scrub competition did what he was supposed to do. Getting about close to 20 points, 10 rebounds, dunking on people. That's what you expect from a first round draft pick to take over in that situation. Tyler Dorsey, from what I saw from him, um, those of you who remember Tyler Dorsey played for Oregon. He was a shooting guard. He was known for making a lot of threes. Um, Honestly, was not impressed with the ball handling skills that he brought. In the NBA, as we know, it was a lot quicker game, and he just looked overmatched several times. I mean, he can get a shot up if he was open, but as far as create on his own, he had trouble constantly. But after looking over this roster several times, if I'm Dennis Schroeder, and some people don't even think he's the best player on that team, I'm just shaking my head because just about three years ago, you're on a team that won 60 games, and then I look at you, you're stuck on a team that, my opinion is not going to win many games. Ethan, what's your analysis on the Atlanta Hawks?
0: Yeah, I I agree with almost everything you said. Like, the way I look at it is um, John Collins is going to be playing the Millsap minutes. You got a Plumbly and Dedmon taking Dwight Howard's spot. You got Bellinelli and Dorsey replacing Hardaway and Cephalosha. And at every single step in that equation, you are losing talent. Not all those players are worse than the players that they are replacing. Um,. But I, I want to look on the positive side for the Atlanta Hawks because they likely won't have many things to be uh be positive about. So obviously I just said that they lost a lot of talent and re- replenished it with you know lower talent. But there is an up the upside idea. You know John Collins showed out in summer league. We- we'll see what he does in the NBA. But the stat I want to present you with of of field goal attempts or a field goal was made. On two-point field goals, they were fifth in the league on assisting two-point field goals. And on three-point field goals, they were fourth in the league on assisting assist percentage for their uh, three-point field goals made. So what that means is this is a team that moves the ball and shares the ball a lot. So you can get by without a star player, in quotation marks. Like, you know, Dennis Sch- uh, Schroeder, if he if he learns to, like, move the ball a little more and not just sprint to the rim trying to throw light f- or soft floaters, this is a team that can, you know, be a little little surprise-ish. You know, they'll they'll beat some teams randomly when they shouldn't just because they have a, a nice flowing offense that is fun to play in. You know, Luke Babbitt is a good shooter. He, he proved that last year with Miami. If you if you just if he's the worst option on, on the team, he's going to get open looks and he'll make them a, a decent percentage of the time. But this team is not going to be good. Um, looking at last season, they won 43 games, lost 39. Their over-under from Vegas is 34-and-a-half.
1: Elkin, I think that's too high. Do you agree with this sentiment? I definitely think that's way too high. Looking at the roster that you that you kind of went over, you and I both went over, I see a lack of talent. This is probably one of the most least talented NBA rosters. Something to say, these guys are professionals. One of the most least talented NBA rosters. The projection right now, that 34-and-a-half, I honestly could see them at just winning 25 games that's what i see him at right now
0: and i i agree with that a lot i look at like the magic last year 129 games and i think their their team had a lot more talent than this current team the atlanta hawks and while i think the magic kind of under underperformed last year like if the hawks overperform, i would see them capping out at 30 you know we'll see we'll see if we're right or wrong but i think 30 would be the most optimistic end of the spectrum Closer down to like what the Nets did last year around twenty, that's that's the, the downside. I see them right in that range. If they get the thirty wins, I'd be thoroughly impressed. And
1: I mean, I think at this point it's it's the unspoken thing is it's pretty much just getting younger, kind of doing that that tanking without making it so obvious. I mean, if you look at their and, and you've seen their contracts. If you look at their contract, beside that horrific Miles Plumbing contract of twelve million dollars. Brutal. I mean, you have just just Schroeder and are your heavy hitters. Besides that, you're looking at just random contracts ranging from $1 million to $6 million. And if you're a team like this in Atlanta whose fan base has never been a strong point, this is probably something like we're probably going to lose a lot of money this year. So losing, and who knows, with the possible number one first-round draft picks coming this upcoming year in the draft, they might think there's some guys worth looking at and don't put it past them to just kind of say, let's let's fold our cards and just try to get through, put our head down and get through the season. And I'll, I will say this, though, Atlanta basketball, though, as sucky as the roster is, it is going to be something that some nights it's going to be enjoyable to watch. The reason I say this, I'd like to take you back to about April 6th of this year, 2017. I had the opportunity to go to a Pacers versus Hawks game. At this point, little did I know that I would get a preview of this year's Hawks. They were starting DeAndre Bembry and Malcolm Delaney in their backcourt. So I knew that at that point, (laughs) it was going to be a bad game. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you this. If you – for our listeners who have never seen how DeAndre Bembry looks like, first of all, he he wears number 95. And if you ever look at a picture of him – he looks at one of the default players of NBA 2K that gets created after you've played like five seasons and he's put random players into the game. That's how he looks like. But the one thing was, until like probably the end when the Pacers got like a 15, 20-point lead, Budenholzer, he does know how to keep the ball moving. That's what's going to help him win at least a few games. So that's the upside. If they got a good coach still under the helm and if they're smart, they will keep him through these rough times. Because we saw, Ethan, and you can attest to this, when they had the talent... And when they had a coach like Moonholtz, they were able to accomplish a lot.
0: Yeah, they're, they're a team to watch on League Pass if there's not a lot of games going on, and they're playing another young team that's going to be up and down the floor. Like, I would love to watch a uh, Atlanta Hawks-Phoenix Suns game. Just all that young talent, um, you know, Hawks on the lower end, but have, I think have a better coach. I think that would be a fun game to watch. Um, but let's, that's enough with the Hawks. We went plenty on a, a pretty lackluster roster there. Let's um, move to a team that I'm a little optimistic about, um, the, Sh- the Charlotte Hornets. Now, let me run through the additions and losses. Uh, their losses were Spencer Hawes, not a big deal, Miles Plumlee, that's that's an addition by subtraction, and Marco Bellinelli, um, who had a down year last year, but I, I kind of just root for him because he, he did the onions dance one time when he played for the Bulls. Um, the additions they made was Dwight Howard via trade, Michael Carter-Williams, former Rookie of the Year, Michael Carter-Williams, via free agency, and Malik Monk, Dwayne Bacon, and Isaiah Hicks via the draft. Now, okay I'm going to throw it to you here. Um, any of those additions stand out?
1: I would say probably looking through this, um, the obvious addition through subtraction is losing – Spencer Hall's most prominent. I had to throw that out there. I have to throw it out there. That's one of the biggest addition by subtraction. But as we move on, um, I'm actually I'm excited for Malik Monk. You know, I really want him to do well. From what I saw in college, oh, man, he did great. In my mind, I kind of wish the Kings would have would have made a move to get Monk and paired him with Darren Fox. But that's another subject on another day. But I'm really excited for what Malik Monk because he can he can hit you on the defensive end. Definitely hit you on the offensive end. And I know we currently have the corpse of the former defensive player of the year, multiple defensive player of the year, Dwight Howard, roaming around getting paid over $20 million, but I bet you Dwight Howard can still go out there and give you probably a solid 15 and 12 and give you one or two blocks. And honestly, if you can get him to say, pick and roll, give us that, that can be a a positive addition to them. And that's what I see. Besides that though, as you and I both agree, the Michael Carter Williams edition of the former Rookie of the Year, in which they had to give that award to somebody because that draft class was so bad, doesn't really, doesn't really excite me. But Ethan, who are you excited about? I kind of name a few people, and I want to hear what you think about them.
0: Um, I'm much more excited about the Dwight Howard trade than you are. Um, Steve Clifford has relations with uh, Dwight Howard. They have been paired before. Under Stan Ben Gundy in Orlando. And I just think this is the, I, <laughs> I've been on the Dwight Howard wagon for so long and I'm such a homer for him for no reason whatsoever. But I, I think this is a stop where he, he, he halts his fall. And I think between getting to play alongside uh, Kimball Walker and Malik Monk and Nicholas Batum and Michael K. Gilchrist, you're going to have a, a plenty of players that are like not, they're like, you know, that second tier, third tier of players in the league that are going to be good teammates for him to have. I think Kimba and Dwight Howard will make a great pick-and-roll tandem. And I think that the the Horns will be able to space the floor enough with guys like Malik Monk, Marvin Williams, Batum, and, and um, Kimba Walker that he can actually get a few post-touches if that's what he needs to stay happy. Um, the stat I want to bring up for this team – is that the Hornets were second in defensive rebounding percentage, and that's with Plumlee, Hawes, and the rest of the team. So I can only imagine that their defensive rebounding will stay a strength by adding Dwight Howard. Oddly enough, though, their offensive rebounding percentage was kind of low. It was like bottom bottom third of the league, and I think that's the area they could really improve on with Dwight Howard, especially if he's going to be patrolling the paint uh, diligently. Um, you got you added League Monk as a great shooter. I like this team. They're going to throw up a lot of threes. That's something Steve Clifford likes to do. They're going to play reasonably quick but not like breakneck speed, so that's not going to wear Dwight Howard out. I just think this team should have took a step forward last year. They just failed to due to some injuries and some unfortunate like timing of those. But I think adding Dwight Howard and retaining the rest of the core, this team's going to take a step in the right direction this year.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. I was looking at I believe last year's we put you had them at they had won thirty-six games last year. I definitely think they're gonna win more, especially in a weaker Eastern Conference. And I can imagine and I was looking over here, the a projected lineup for them is starting your is starting Kemba Walker in the backcourt, uh shifting Nicholas Batum to your two guard and then having a front court of Kid Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, and Dwight Howard. I don't know how you would set up your lineup, but for me that's a I'd rather put Nicholas Batum at the small four, but then you really want to get Kid Gilchrist some playing time, even though his, sh- we all know about shooting for my eye, kills our eyes, but rather, I'm, I'm honestly going to say this. Um, we were expecting a lot more from the Hornets, kind of like you said last year, building upon what with the Dunn in the years past, how they kind of been having that, hey, we've been adding more talent, we're going to make a splash in the playoffs, and then they kind of, they've been doing this cycle over and over again. Will this video the when they finally break through, where these small additions, maybe through the draft or through trade, kind of help them back or swing back to the right direction? That is something that is we're just gonna have to find out this year.
0: Well, I think they'll be a playoff team. I don't know that they'll win a series. But I think that's still doubtful. But I think the addition of Monk at the two guard, I I like the. Actually, do you like the idea of starting Batum at the two, and then later in the game having him play the the three with Monk playing a lot more at the two. Like, I think you start big because that's what your advantage will be. And you the fact that Kid Gilchrist is a great uh, defender of threes, you want him on the the court early, guarding the best three. You know, you want him guarding Giannis. You want him guarding LeBron. You want him guarding those guys early in the game, hopefully to wear them out a little bit. And then you just adjust as the game comes to you. Um, the thing the last thing I'll say about them is I, I just like a lot of their role players I like I like Cody Zeller like he he's such a good player and like I think even if Dwight Howard blows up if if Cody Zeller is healthy, that's a, t- a player that can, you can throw right back in there and, and he's gonna keep this team afloat. I see them as a seven or eight seed in the east um I don't think they're in the I don't think they're quite to the heat wizards Celtics. Uh, Cavs, and I'm probably forgetting a team, but who cares? Bucks. I don't think they're in that, that realm. But they're going to be right there on that edge of the playoffs fighting for spots.
1: And i like them to go over 40 and a half wins. And that is definitely spot on as far as – I mean, I actually have them right at 40, to tell the truth. But who knows, they might just go a little bit over. Now, I'm done talking about the Hornets. Now, the next team is a, is a favorite of one of our uh, podcasters. Uh, you may know them as the 2006, 2012, 2013 NBA champions. They are your Miami Heat. So, Ethan, I'm going to leave it to you to try to be as unbiased as you can as you present the case for how this season will turn out for the Miami Heat. Okay. So, the
0: Miami Heat finished last year at 41-41. Quite the tale of two two seasons within the one. They started the season 11-30 and, and finished the season 30-11. Uh, and 11 to get to that 500 record. Um, the additions we made were, was signing Kelly Olynyk from the Celtics and drafting Bam Abadayo at the 14th spot. Um, in my opinion, great value pick there. He was much higher projected like before his college season came um, through. And I think he's gonna be a versatile a five option for us in the future. Um, the losses we had were Luke Babbitt, Willie Reed, and Josh McRoberts. Now, the f- first two, Babbitt and wi- Willie Reed, played quite a few minutes for us last year. Um, Babbitt was actually a starter. Um, most of you might think that is crazy, but it is a fact. He started, and he was actually reasonably effective as a starter. Now, um, the way I see this heat season going, I think we will be closer to the 30-11 and 11 season that we had in the back half, but we will not – like we're not a 60-win team. This this team I think will win between 45 and 50 games. 50 being the optimistic, 45 being the absolute low. Um, as long as long as there's health, and I think being able to retain Deion Waiters uh, and having Dragush as your starting, steady in hand point guard, Hassan Whiteside dominating inside. I, I really think this team has a very, very high uh, floor, but not a very high ceiling. I just I don't know how he would, you know, get to like Celtics, Wizards, and Cavs land. Um, the stat I want to share with you guys, and I probably said it in another podcast, because it's the stat I love the most. The Miami Heat allowed the least amount of three-point attempts last year. Now, the percentage-wise, like I, I didn't look that up, so I don't know how that affected, like versus attempts and makes. But the Heat strategy was to always run the oppo- the opposition off the three-point line and force them into Hassan Whiteside and Willie Reed. In, in, in the paint I don't see that changing in, in a, a league that is more and more three centric every day that's a defense that I can believe in and I believe will stay stick around so I think I think 46 wins is the, the number I'd give them if I had to just pick a number um, Elkin what what are your thoughts tell me if I'm crazy or spot on
1: I think at this point as much as I hate to uh, agree with you you are spot on on your assessment you and I kind of had a chance to talk over the Heat, especially after their abysmal start. And you're like, "Look back, man! Injuries, injuries, injuries!" I was like, "All right." So I started, I started looking around at lineups while I we're researching for this podcast. I started looking back at like some trends, some advanced stats. Already, what Ethan brought up, the Heat were one of the they were in the top five in defense overall. I mean, almost every category they were top five or higher. And anytime they had a healthy lineup. As we've seen before, they could run with any team. They beat the two finalists of the NBA, the Warriors and the Cavs, and any night they can give any other team a run for the money. And one thing that always gets overlooked, people forget, Eric Spolcher is a darn good coach. That man really knows how to coach. Ethan, you can attest to this. When we went and watched their game against the the Pacers, yeah, they were missing, I believe they are missing Dragic, but like even throughout, like when they were having to start smaller players on Paul George, you can kind of see that the he just they stayed around and they fought, and that's one thing I think with the addition of Kelly Olynyk and Bam, I think that would definitely help them with the backcourt, Sorry, with the front court as far as coming off the bench, bringing in more positive minutes. Because one of the things I look for is yeah, you lose Luke blue to spread the floor, but Kelly Olynyk, as slow as he is, he could also spread the floor and he could knock down some shots and you're probably as excited as me when it comes to BAM. From what we saw from BAM, I think it was a great pick by Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. And if they can keep their core guys, and for me their core guys are guys such as Whiteside, Dragic, Waiters, and like James Johnson, if they keep them healthy. For me, I don't think there's any way this team wins less than 45 games. That's for me, kind of like you said, like it's a high floor for them. I feel like that's their range right there, 45 games. And for them, it's just probably get a good. I see him around five, six seed around there. Now, you know what? I see him around a four or five. Maybe get up higher. Because I see, I'm trying to think who else is in the Eastern Conference. They're not as high on the Raptors as many people were. Let's not forget that he almost beat the Raptors a couple of seasons ago. In my mind, they they could have beat them too. I, I still have any respect for them right now, the Raptors, <laughs> that is. But I can see them moving up to that to break it out into the third or fourth seed. But as we talk about this, you're right, Ethan. The Heat do have a very optimistic season ahead of them.
0: Yeah, I, I think it comes down to I think the Celtics, Cavs, and Wizards are locks for the one through three. And I think the Raptors are slipping back to the rest of the pack. And then the Heat, Bucks. Um, and probably I, I probably said them earlier, a different team, but like it's the, the the top three seeds are going to be locked up, from what I can tell, and then the, the next the next uh, five are the ones that are going to be jostling around. Um, between the Bucks between the Bucks uh, Heat and Raptors, I think they'll make up the next three, and then again, it's another little jostling position. But like I think the Heat have a high floor and a low ceiling. Like I think they're just they're going to be kind of stuck in that little window because that's that's just where. The league is on a talent spectrum. Now, Kelly Olynyk is just almost as good a shooter as Babbitt, if not better. More versatile because he can actually take someone off the dribble and like not look terrible doing it. Um, Bam replacing Willie Reed, I think he's already as good a defender, and he's probably just needs to work on his timing offensively to be as effective of, of a rim roller as Willie Reed. Like losing Josh McRoberts is just a, a hurtful thing for me, even though because I just love him, but like he was unfortunately his. His Miami tenure was just injury-plugged and really sad. So, I don't know how um, the Heat will do. Otherwise, like, we retained all the rest of our young players. All, J- Justice Winslow is going to be back this year. You know, hopefully he can kind of do have a similar season to what James Johnson did last year. I'd like to see James Johnson enter the starting lineup and Justice Winslow try to take on that backup power forward, you know, but be a ball handler in that role. That's what I want to see from him, and I think that's the best way for him to improve. Um, But, you know, I could talk about the Heat for another two hours and and break it down and tell you all the things and how there's going to be a position battle between Rodney Magruder and Wayne Ellington, who's going to get the miss defensively or do we need three-point shooting. But you know what? No one actually cares. So (laughs) I think it's time we move to the Orlando Magic.
1: Uh, We'll get the privilege of moving on to Orlando Magic. The other team in Florida, now the Orlando Magic um – Added Jonathan Simmons, Aaron Aflalo, Shelvin Mack, Maurice Bates, and, of course, Mr. Jonathan Isaac, Andy Loss, C.J. Watson, and another, as we call it, addition by subtraction, Jeff Green. Somehow, and as most of you know, the ongoing joke in the NBA is that the world would end, the world's going to end when Jeff Green is not on the team. For some reason, teams just love getting them some Jeff Green, even though they know they're going to get untapped potential and like today's goal consistency and probably frustration. Now, where I see him as is their head coach, former head Pacers head coach Frank Vogel. is a great coach. I think for him, kind of that like first year, it may have been rough, but it's kind of just like bringing in a new system, a new culture. That takes time. Unless you have amazing superstar players, that type of culture takes time to change the mentality of the team. Now they have some some talent on there. I I love Aaron Gordon. I wish he would play more at the four instead of the three. And Nikola Vucevic, he's a solid player as well. And the for me, so and so, Alfred Payton, great floor general, but no jump shot at all. Now you have these players, and then you're bringing in these other guys to maybe trades, maybe signings, maybe draft picks. I think finally this is a year instead of just staying around the – I always see them in the fourth through tenth pick in the NBA draft. This is going to be the year I think they finally might be able to at least make a run for like eight, nine, tenth seed in the East. And in the East this year, you're probably going to need like – to be in the race for the eighth seed, you're probably going to need like 30-something wins, let's be honest. To be in the race for the eighth seed, by race I mean competitive enough that you could possibly reach 40 towards the end that's what I see. And I'm excited about Jonathan Simmons. It kind of sucks that the Spurs lost him. Maurice Bates, we know we can bring as far as scoring off the bench. If he's a bench guy who, if you guys need 10, 15 minutes of scoring, that's great. But throughout all of this, I'm just, I'm just trying to think how is, how are we going to, how are going to put it on the floor? How are we going to get it all there on the floor? I mean, you're probably going to have Alfred Payton Fournier starting. Then you're going to have Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon and Vucevic and this is a solid lineup and it's going to sound bad it's a solid lineup if this is your second unit if that is your second unit you're going to do great but for me I still get to see a player that's like this is the player that's going to carry them night in and night out what do you think Ethan?
0: Yeah, I actually like their collection of talent, but it's it's a bunch of talent I'd like to see as a bunch of sixth, seventh guys on rosters, not um, starters. Um, I look at this team and try to figure out what Frank Vogel will try to do with them, and that's the hardest thing for me to find a path. I love their draft pick in Jonathan Isaac. I was on the record in our earlier podcast saying I thought he was you know, a top one of the top prospects after Markel Fultz. I thought Markel Fultz was the best, but Jonathan Isaac was right there with Tatum, Josh Jackson, and the rest of the guys. So I'd say their projected starting lineup, just looking at their roster, will be Alfred Payton, um, Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, Gordon, and the center, either Vucevic or Biombo, depending on what they want to go with. I would probably say Vuce. Thing about it. I, I like that as a as an idea, but I just don't know how committed Frank Vogel will be to be to some of these players when they don't have a history of performing. So it just comes down to this, though. If everything goes right, I could see this team having a similar path as the Miami Heat did last year. Not to the extreme of going 11 and 30 and then 30 and 11, but I could see this team ending up with with up maximum of 40 wins, which might be enough for that eighth spot. I don't think they'll get that high, but I'm saying this is the op- most optimistic chance. Because when you look at this team, they got Tantros, who's a good scorer. Gordon, solid two-way player. Peyton, decent floor general. Vucic is a walking bucket inside of 10 feet. Biombo, if he can – I always—I didn't think he was what he was in that Toronto Heat series and the Toronto uh, Cavs series. But if he's anything a semblance of that, he might be able to find that form again. Evan Fournier, I, I'm still yet to see if he's going to perform at that $17 million contract, but he's a great shooter. Let's see if we can get him open. And then Jonathan Simmons is a, an energy defensive guy. Like You have the pieces here of a decent team, and I could see them growing into themselves throughout the year and being good. Um, I have a stat for them, as I do with all teams. They were the second worst three-point shooting team in the league last year. And I'm a person who believes three-point percentage can be pretty fluky. But part of the reason I think they were so bad is because Sergi Baca, who is a quality starting four, but not a good player, in my opinion, was hoisting a lot of jump shots for them last year. And I think if they think work their offense a re, little rework their offense to something that makes a little bit more sense, you know, having people like Terrence Ross and Fournier taking their threes, that percentage will not um, will not stay that way and they, they could eke out some more wins. So 29 wins was their last season uh, winning uh, amount of wins. Sorry, I'm stumbling over all those words there. Um, they're projected at 34 and a half as they're over under. I say they win 37 games and fall short of the playoffs. Um, what do you think?
1: I think for me, I'm looking at them to be about, right about 35. I don't see playoffs at all for them. There's going to be a year when they get a mediocre draft pick one more time, kind of be disappointed. And until they get it, and they might just have to repackage a bunch of players for them because they have the talent to to get probably a fairly good deal. I would say we're not going to see much coming out from them as far as Just I don't know, just improvement. I want something more. They need a better player. One player, kind of push them over the hump. And who knows, one of their young players might develop. I don't see any of that happening. All right, but, Ethan, um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything else. Well, I I,
0: I do think we need to see what Jonathan Isaac looks like as a pro because he might be that guy. You know, he might start – I have a feeling he'll start off the year kind of slow because he's kind of a slender build. But he could be a guy that you see um, making that step. And you know, never know. Like if he if he's almost a seven footer between him and Aaron Gordon, maybe you could find a really s- sexy small ball lineup. You know, like I that's not necessarily Frank Vogel's, uh, not necessarily his style historically, but like you never know. Like coaches change. Like Eric Spolster wasn't always a uh, a, a a small ball running gun style coach. He he changed that when he got new players. So maybe that's the this is the year that uh, Frank Vogel plays to his talent um perfect a little bit more uh perfectly
1: yeah and that once that happens i think and they really start using Aaron gordon more at the four for me and mess around more with john that i think i think that can really really make magic magic happen not to use her name not to make any type of a pun but also too if they can somehow find a way maybe move brucevich during the summer do some or sorry during the during the year I wouldn't put it past them to doing that or packaging some other players and doing a trade mid-year and getting a solid player. I could see that. Now, the final team, the last team of not just uh, well, of the Southeastern Southeast Conference and of the Eastern Conference for us to cover are the Washington Wizards. Not much change, but maybe not doing that much change is good in this landscape for them. We have the additions of Jody Meeks, Mike Scott. Oh, Mike Scott. <laughs> And then we have the losses of Bogdanovich, Brandon Jennings, and Trey Burke. And last year, they had a record of 49-33. and Now, and I'm going to tell you this. For me, for the Wizards, um, Brandon Jennings, I liked him at times for what he brought, especially second unit. Their second unit was just horrible. The starting lineup, you had a very solid starting lineup. But their second unit, whenever that came in, that was their issue every time the Wizards second unit came in, you kind of expected, well, if they have a lead, uh, second units have to make sure they don't get as close as possible as far as don't let the lead get dwindled down all the way, at least try to have a two-point lead or something when the starters come back. What I saw in the playoffs was was John Wall going all out, virtually just running out of gas. Bagdanovich, I feel like that might hurt them a little bit because of the offense, but also his defense, they're not going to miss that much. Trey Burke. I know he came from Michigan, had a great run in Michigan, but he's probably one of those players we're probably going to see out of the NBA in two to three years. And that's just the truth. And, and also one player that we di- I did not mention that they brought in was Tim Frazier, who I think is also a serviceable backup point guard. Now, Ethan, this team is, it has some, I would say, in my opinion, the most talented backcourt in the East. Now, what do you see them heading this year? I think this year is gonna be more of the same. I,
0: I think the additions they made, um, the three players, Meek, Scott, and Frazier, they're all just like simple replacements. Like I think Frazier can replace Brandon Jennings and Burke in production. Like I think that's a just a, a fine fit. He's probably even a little bit more consistent because he just does he's not a risk taker as a player. Um, Jody Meeks, if he if he can play, he's probably he's probably a serviceable uh, replacement for Boyan Bogdanovich because he's probably a little bit better defender, probably a little bit less of a shooter. And Mike Scott, I mean, I've I've rooted for him, but he just never seems to put it all together. He's he's like a running back in the NFL that averages three and a half yards per carry, but you're always optimistic he's going to get it to to four and a half one season. So. That's how I look at those guys. But retaining a Porter, Beale, and Wall, Marquise Morris, I, I think the thing they miss the, are going to miss the most is a true rim protector at, at the center position because Ian Mihimi did not play much at all last year. And when he did, he looked bad. I remember texting you because he used to play for the Pacers and be like, Ian Mihimi does not belong on an NBA court right now because he looked so disjointed. I literally would text you every time you made a mistake, and that was probably the most we texted in any given day because <laughs> he was brutal, Elkin. So the way I see this team is they're still going to be the, a top three team in the East, or, or they're going to move into a top three team. I think the Raptors were ahead of them last year. But I, I don't see their path to be beating the Celtics after they signed Hayward, and I don't see them beating the Cavs because they still have this guy named LeBron. What it comes down to is this team is going to be a fun, a pretty fun team to watch between Beal and Wall and the rest of their guys. But um, other than that, I don't know if they're a very interesting team. Like, I don't see any young guys to really key in on. And, you know, John Wall is just going to be John Wall. I, I love him, but I don't know if it's going to be a very interesting team is what I'm
1: trying to get at. And I think that's one of the things you brought up. It's probably be one of the most entertaining teams on that side of the NBA, but I don't expect much out of them. But as I said earlier, their best move was not doing too much during the offseason, which is going to help them as far as maybe moving a little bit ahead of the Raptors that we spoke of before. But for me, there's not really much worth talking about with the Wizards as far as we spoke about their amazing backcourt already. And that covers most of the main moves that they've done because there wasn't really much happening for them this offseason.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to see where their next move can come from, just looking at how their salaries um, set up. You know, Mahimi's getting overpaid. Gortat is probably properly paid, but he's also, like, taking a big step backwards. Um, and then, like, if you're looking at Jason Smith to be a reliable scorer, I mean, he's got a decent mid-range jump shot, but that's not something you want to live on. But it's something that they did. Here's a stat for you. Last year, the Wizards – were third in field goal percentage in the entire NBA meaning they made more shots than most people on average but that was while being under 30% as a team from 3 that's not good playing an old that that's a Scott Brooks offense for you playing much more old school not paying attention to the new trends in the NBA these guys are shooting less than 30% from 3 and their field goal percentage was still third in the league that means they're not taking enough threes for a modern offense so that's where I think – that's why I say this team's just not – they're going to be entertaining to watch individual games, but they're not an interesting team because they're going to be a lot of the same stuff. It's going to be Bradley Beal and John Wall carrying them and, um, you know, their bench making making the fans nervous every
1: end of first, early second. And that sounds like what we're headed for this year if you're a Washington Wizards fan. Well, that would conclude the Southeast Division. In the Eastern Conference, now, Ethan, I've been I've been thinking about how does the playoff picture then look, and I kind of just, I was writing down a few names. For me, right now, the locks for seeds one through six are the Cavaliers, the Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Heat, and Wizards. Are those, do you agree at least with that top six? Yeah, those are the top six, not necessarily in that order. Correct. Definitely not in that order. Who knows? But now, who are going to, in your opinion, who are going to be the teams that are going to bring up and get those last two spots. Um if I had to just pick
0: two, I would pick the Pistons and Hornets. Those would be my two picks for the seventh and eight. And actually in that order, I think Pistons would be seven, Hornets would be eight. The uh the two sleeper teams that are also going to be fighting for those positions are the Magic and Sixers. I think the Nets, Knicks, um, and Bulls are all and Hawks are all
1: absolutely no chance. And don't forget about the artists formerly known as the Indiana Pacers. In their Surpri-
0: <laughs> surprisingly, surprisingly, I think they have they're they're on, they might they're they're closer to the uh, the two uh, first three out versus the uh, absolute no chance just because uh-huh. just because I I have faith in that uh, that young
1: man Miles Turner of doing something. Uh, let's hope so. Let's hope so. But, but that's I think I kind of agree with you as far as those last two spots. I could see the Pistons just sneaking on in there and the Hornets. I I have some optimism about the Sixers. But I think what everyone's reservation with the Sixers is if Embiid can stay healthy. If anything, if he can stay healthy the entire season, honestly, for me, they're going to make – they can get an eighth seed. I feel like for me that's going to be a lock if he can stay healthy because if you saw the impact just when he played – and man, I wish I had the numbers on me right now. When he was in the starting lineup, I mean, the record was substantially better, obviously, when he was playing compared to when he was not. And the net rating that he had – was amazing. So if that can happen, that'll be great for them if they can keep that talent going. But that for me, kind of like you said, those two teams, the Hornets and the Pistons, round out the Eastern Conference.
0: Yep. um Just speaking on the Sixers, um, like, I, like I said in the last podcast, if Joel Embiid plays fifty or more games, I think they're a playoff team because I don't think he'll be. I don't, I don't think he'll play poorly in those fifty games. The combination of Ben Simmons, Reddick, and Fultz give me a lot of. A lot of optimism for that team, but until I see it, I just don't know if I can put my faith in Joel Embiid playing playing that many games. And if he's playing closer to forty, and I think I said thirty in the last podcast, I just don't know if they have that other inside presence to to stay. Like I like Rashad Holmes offensively, but offensively he's not he's not versatile. Joel Okafor can post up, but who wants to do that in the modern NBA? That's just not smart offense. So. When it comes down to it, I, I think they slip. they're slip. they not in the playoffs because of that, but I think they're they're all moving in the right direction and they're placing themselves in the right position to make a big free agent signing this coming offseason because they're going to prove to people that, hey, we have the players now. Now's
1: the time to cash in. And you're definitely right on that point. And that, for me, rounds out the Eastern Conference. It's been great getting a chance to talk to you about these – Five teams in the Southeast Division, of course, here in your excerpt and your thoughts on the Miami Heat. And for me, that does it, Ethan, unless you have anything else to add. Uh,
0: you, said, you said Miami Heat, and it made my, my heart get warm again. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Aside from A.J. Hammonds, everyone on the Miami Heat roster – or A.J. Hammonds and Matt Williams, which you don't know who either of those two people are for the general listening on audience, but everyone else on the Miami Heat roster would be in an 11-man rotation on any team in the NBA, and that's what I had to look forward to this year. I'm gonna, I, It's going to be hard watching Okara White and Rodney McGruder get, get a few minutes taken away from them because we're, we've, we've increased the overall talent threshold, but I'm very excited for the season. We're going to play fun basketball, and thank you for letting me indulge myself with my own fandom.
1: Yep, and on that note, we end the podcast, but of course, as usual, as tradition, I have a little quote for you from one of our hero ball philosophers. And this philosopher, by the name of Ricky Davis, some of you may have heard of him, one of his greatest feats was breaking his own layup on his own hoop to try to get a triple-double, which did not count, by the way. And he said... After LeBron came in and he was out of the Cleveland Cavaliers, he said, I thought LeBron James was just going to be another addition to help me score. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the epitome, Laura, I would say the epitome of hero ball. Yeah, it's all
0: about me.